So I want to continue a conversation for the next 20 minutes or so uh, that we've been having here at Grace Church. If you're newer, let me kind of tell you how it rolls. We do series, you are like, what's that? We kind of have a conversation that we extend for five, six, maybe sometimes eight weeks, and we carry that conversation on. Right now, you came in the middle of a conversation that we're having, and that conversation that we're having, we just simply called church things. You're like, wow, that seems interesting to have a conversation called church things in church. Why are you doing that? Here's why we're having this conversation. Because if you did not grow up in church, there's things that happen in church that are going to seem peculiar to you, right? So if you didn't grow up in church, there's certain things that happen. You're like, why in the world did they do that? But we don't want to just have this conversation for people who didn't grow up in church. There's all kinds of people who did grow up in church that some of the things that happen in church become all too familiar. And it's not until you sit beside somebody, hopefully that you invited to come with you, right? And they're maybe here for the first time that all of a sudden you begin to see the things that look so familiar to you, you can begin to understand why they might be peculiar to them, right? Because things that you grew up taking for granted aren't things that you see all the time. Like why in the world do they pass straw baskets down the road and put money in, right? That's not something you see all the time. Why in the world do they sing? And why do some people raise their hands? And what's going on with that? Uh, Why in the world do they do what they do when we go to church? So here's the goal of the series, okay? In short, I just simply, in this five-week conversation, wanted to take what might seem peculiar to some of you, and I wanted it to become more familiar. So I wanted to explain it a little bit. But I didn't want to stop there. It's not where I want to stop, because I want to take what's familiar. So if it's peculiar to you and it becomes familiar, or if you've grown up in church and it's familiar, I want to go from it being familiar, ready, to being full of meaning, I wanted it to go from being something that you're just used to seeing, but maybe have never stopped and asked yourself questions. I wanted it to go to something that was meaningful and powerful, inspirational and impactful. And so that's why we're having the conversation this morning in brief. I just simply want to have a conversation about something or some things, ready, that aren't going to seem peculiar on their face. Okay, you're going to be like, well, those things that you're talking about don't seem peculiar. But what I want to do is I want to explain some things so that you can understand why we do them, how we do them. So I simply, if you're newer to grace or if you're here like, hey, man, I'm just here because somebody's getting baptized. I'm going to today, I thought today would be a good day to let you behind the curtain. Right. So I want you to see behind the curtain as to why do they do that and why do they do it, how they do it. If you do call Grace Church your home. Or maybe you're thinking about calling Grace Church your home. I want you to understand why we do what we do, particularly on a Sunday morning, and why we do it the way we do it. So my hope is that it'll be informative to you as we explain this. So as we do this, I simply try to make it easy for you. When you come on a Sunday morning, I want to this morning explain the four G's. They all begin with the letter G that you're going to experience on a Sunday morning. So I just simply wanted to make it easy. That's why I did that, okay? Now... Before you fill anything in on your outline, I got to do this. We, we got to somehow zoom out so that we can understand what happens on a Sunday morning here. So we got to zoom out so that we can zoom in. And when we zoom out with Grace Church, you got to understand certain things. First is this. I want you to know the vision of Grace Church. So I want you to know that the overarching vision and the overarching vision is this. The vision of Grace Church is to launch 30 campuses in 30 years. Now, here's what's cool, right? But why 30 campuses? I don't know. There's no magic number. But here's one of the reasons why we pick 30 years. 
because the book of Acts takes place in a time period of about 30 years. And we thought, wow, if God's spirit did that then, I wonder what he might do now, right? So we want to launch 30 campuses. Our desire is not to build a big mega church, but to plant lots of churches, right? Lots of campuses so we can reach lots of people. We think we can reach more people this way. Here's the good news. Ready? Announcement time. Ready? We are getting ready to launch the public services to our eighth campus. Now listen, here's the deal. I'm going to give you the date. November 4th, 2018, the very first public service at County Line Campus, Sterling, Ohio, will be launched. Isn't that awesome, guys? Yeah. So that crew under Pastor Christian's leadership have been working hard and they're ready to roll, man. They're ready to launch. November 4th is when they're looking to launch that a family fun night on Friday. God's doing some neat things, giving some connections and contacts. We're really, really excited about that. Now, that vision is something that is served by our purpose. And here's our purpose. The purpose of Grace Church is to ignite a gospel-centered, everybody say that next word out loud, movement. Movement. You notice, why do I have you say that out loud? It says movement, not a moment. Now listen close. We want to be a movement, not a moment. We want to be a movement, not a moment. You know why? Because we think that we're part of a movement that began back in the book of Acts. And so the purpose is to ignite a gospel-centered, it's centered around the good news story that God has in his word, centered around Jesus, a gospel-centered movement by knowing it, that's the gospel, by living it, it is the gospel, and giving it away. That's our purpose. And so our vision, 30 camps is 30 years, our purpose, ignite a gospel-centered movement, and then we have values. And our overarching value, of eight values, our overarching value is simply this. Everybody out loud together in unison. Say this with me. One, two, three. We. That's our overarching value. We live to make Jesus make sense. Might beg this question. Why in the world do you live to make Jesus make sense? I want you to listen, particularly if you grew up in church. I really want you to dial in now. Jesus does not make sense to everybody. Jesus does not, I love one of, the, one of the stories in the video, Lauren, the gal that I know, she's been to our young adult group, she's, I didn't grow up in a Christian, it didn't make sense, and I started coming, it started to make sense, the story of Jesus didn't make sense, raise your hand if you've ever been in a conversation where they're talking about something, whatever it is, and it didn't make sense to you, raise your hand, somebody like, yeah, all the time, right, I feel that way every time I'm around people who work on computers, raise your hand if you're with me on that, amen, right, uh, here we call it the IT department, right? And, and we have this young fellow named Mike who runs our IT department. I love Mike. His entire goal is to make computers make sense to me, right? Because they don't make sense. He uses words I don't know. And so he dumbs it down for me. Before Mike got here, there was a guy named Dan in charge of IT. Dan Simpson was his name. And I remember when Dan was in charge, I had on my desk a desktop printer, right? A desktop printer because he wanted to make it convenient. I could just push print and print and off there it went. And I had one day where I couldn't get that doggone thing to print anything. You ever had that day? Couldn't get it. So I thought I can fix this, right? I got a master's degree. I, I kind of wiggled wires. I pushed buttons. I did shook it around a little bit. I got my hammer. I was tempted for a minute that I didn't do that, right? And finally, I'm like, this ain't making sense. It won't print. I called Dan in. I said, Dan, 
These doggone computers, they don't make sense to me. I said, the thing won't print. What do I got to do? He said, let me look at it then. I was sure he's going to have to do some research. I was sure it's going to be a complicated problem. I was sure he's going to have to make sense to make sense for me. And he looked at that thing for about five minutes and he called me back in. He said, hey, Dan, hey, listen, man, no problem. I found your problem. I said, thank you. Can you explain the problem so I would understand? He said, yeah, I think I can explain this. You understand? He said, next time you want to use the printer, there's this button on the back. It's the power button. He said, you might want to push that thing, right? You might want to turn that thing on, right? You see, here's the deal. Sometimes we're in conversations where things don't make sense, and it is extremely important that Jesus makes sense. And that is one of the values that drives us, and it's not just because it's a cool value, but here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, Christ's love compels us. Look here, I'm glad he starts with the love of Christ. Some of you grew up in church, and you've been pretty convinced that God's been angry at you, mad at you, right? And I love the fact Paul says, no, no, you need to understand something. There's a God who loves you, been chasing you, died to have a relationship with you. It's his love that compels us because we're convinced, I am convinced that one, that's Jesus died for all of us and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Here's the story of Jesus in a nutshell. The story of Jesus is that when Jesus came and died on the cross, Jesus with God with skin on, he died in my place for my sin. That's the story of Jesus in a nutshell. So the story of Jesus says this, that when I say yes to Jesus, I'm saying, yes, Jesus, I believe you did for me what I couldn't do for myself. That only when I say yes to Jesus as my savior, ready, can I be forgiven of my sin. Some of you need to hear that this morning. You know why? Because you're trying to run away from the bad things you did, cover them up, become more religious, hope they go away. And Jesus says this, I died to pay the price for all that. What's the answer to my sin? I say yes to Jesus as my savior. Only way I'm forgiven. And it's the only way I can be sure that heaven's my home when I die. By the way, all of us are gonna die someday. And it's the only way I can be sure that when I stand before God someday that heaven is my home. But beyond that, it's the only way for me to have a relationship with God. It's the only way I can be forgiven of my sins, only way I can be sure heaven's my home, and it's the only way I can know that I have a relationship with God. That's the story of Jesus. So saying yes to Jesus is saying yes to him as the only one who can save us from our sin, and yes to Jesus as the only one who can lead us in our life. That's saying yes to Jesus. Now, it doesn't stop there because Paul goes on to say this. He says, because of this, we don't regard anybody the same. We don't regard them from a worldly point of view. We once regarded Christ this way. We don't any longer. If anyone's in Christ, new creations come. Old's gone, new's here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That's just repaired relationship with God. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now listen close, okay? I've sat in church before. I know when preacher reads the Bible from the screen that if you read too long, it can sound like want, 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 want. I really want you to dial in. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. What's he saying? He's saying the moment we say yes to Jesus, that our life's purpose and our identity is to make Jesus make sense. That's what he's saying. He said, that's what we do. He said, we're his ambassadors. Now, this is powerful. He says, as though God were making his appeal through us. Hello. It's like God making his appeal. I want Jesus to make sense to the world. We implore you on Christ's behalf, like we're begging and pleading, be reconciled to God. This is open to all of you. 
Some of you in the room right now today haven't accepted that. And what Paul would want you to say and what, what, what I would want you to know is that that invitation is open to you. God loves you. Jesus died for you. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, here's the deal. And then I'm going to race, okay? But here's the deal. When you understand that that's our value, we live to make Jesus make sense because he doesn't make sense to everybody, it helps you understand some things that you experience here at Grace Church. It's going to help you understand what I call the four G's of Grace Church. The four G's of a Sunday morning. First and foremost, that passage and that value is going to help you understand why there's people who open the door for you when you come, why they help you find a parking spot, why they serve you coffee, why there's gals in the back right now who help you find a seat when you show up late. You see, that value is going to help you understand why we do that. You know why? Have you ever walked into a church where nobody ever talked to you, where you didn't know where to go? Don't raise your hand, right? I guess a scary, daunting reality. My, my daughter, I prayed for her this morning. She moved to another state, and this morning she by herself is going to go church hunting, right? She's got to find a church in her neighborhood. She's going to go by herself, find out. I'm praying somebody will talk to her. I'm praying somebody will reach out to her. That's what I'm praying, right? You see, the fact of the matter is I want Grace Church, ready, to be the friendliest, most hospitable place on the planet. Let me tell you too this way. I was at a church preaching several years back, several years back, and this church had come, and they said, Pastor Dan, they came, met with me in my office, said, would you help us think through how you know, our church has kind of dwindled, and they were a church of about 20, 25, and they said, we just need help, like we've got to get back on mission, and we've got to figure things out. So I was meeting with their leaders, and, and they asked me, said, would you come preach one Sunday? I said, sure, I'm happy to come preach. I had the Sunday off here, and uh, from preaching, that is, and so I went there and preached, and uh, there were about 20, 25 in the, in the auditorium. And I sat right there where you're at. I sat right there because that's where I thought, man, I should sit there. And I remember 20, 25 of us, and there was somebody up giving the announcements, and I'm just listening intently. And the next thing you know, all of a sudden, in the middle of that service, all of us heard, oh, man, that's kind of weird, man, the pipes or what is that? And then we kept doing that. So we did what you would do. In that case, I was sitting there like this, and we all turned because a knock was coming from back there. When we turned, we saw the front door, and we saw two people who had never been to that church before. They couldn't get in. The doors were locked, right? You see, the first principle, if you want a healthy church, is unlock your doors on Sunday morning. Amen? <laughs> unlock the doors and welcome them. These are people who had never been there before, and the doors were locked. You see, my hope is, is that somehow we'll become a place of hospitality. The question is why? Like, Dan, you just want to be a friendly guy? Well, yeah, I kind of do. But there is, a, there is a powerful passage that I want you to see. It's found in Hebrews chapter 13. And here's what it says. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Look here a second. That sounds obvious, Right? The words that are underlined all come from one Greek word. You probably didn't know Philadelphia was kind of a Greek word, did you, huh? Some of you Eggles fans, right? Your, your Philadelphia is brotherly love. It is two Greek words that are smashed together, right? It's the word for love, a friendly family love, love your brothers, right? That's what it comes from. And so what, what the writer of Hebrews is saying, I want y'all here at Grace Church, let's just, let's just contextualize it. He said, I want you guys to love each other's family what he's saying. That's verse one. Here's what's interesting to me. Verse two says this. Don't forget to show, say the word out loud, 
hospitality to strangers. The word for love is Philadelphia. The word for hospitality is philoxenos. Philoxenos is how I would say it, right? It literally means this. The writer of Hebrews is saying this. I want y'all to show each other love in this room. And he says, don't forget to show the same kind of family-friendly love to people who show up the very first time, people who don't belong, people who are guests, people who you've never met before. That is powerful. That's why here we call it this. It begins with G. It simply is the word gospitality, right? Gospitality. That's not original with me. As, as far as I know, that's original with our campus pastor at Medina, whose name is Tony. And uh, he came up with this. We strive to be hospitable to everyone who comes. Why? Because the gospel drives our hospitality. The gospel is what drives our hospitality. You say, how does the gospel drive our hospitality? Here's why. The gospel says that we were all outsiders at one point in time. That all of us were outsiders and that God invited us in. Colossians says it this way. You were once alienated from God, outsiders, but now he's reconciled you. He's invited you in by Christ's physical body through death. That God is hospitable that God invited us in. And so the gospel drives our hospitality. You see, here's what I know. This is something that, that comes right out of scripture. It comes right out of the heart of God. And it's something hopefully you practice already in your home. None of you would think about inviting your, your family to your home and then inviting somebody who'd never been there for the first time. None of you would think about ignoring them, would you? You would go out of your way to make sure they felt at home. You'd go out of your way to make sure they knew where the bathroom was at. You'd go out of their way to make sure that they met some of the other people. That's why here at Grace Church, we want to prefer guests. I'm going to say that again. Gospitality is why here at Grace Church, we want to prefer our guests. Tony said something else. I thought it was worthwhile writing up here. I heard this uh, one time when he was talking, and I wrote it down in my little black book. He said, in preaching, we hear the gospel. In singing, we sing the gospel. In hospitality, we feel the gospel. Here's the heartbeat of Grace Church. We want people to feel the gospel before they might ever hear it in this room. We want them to somehow experience it and feel it. Let me explain. It's why we have people at the doors. We don't, the people at the doors, they don't simply open doors. They welcome people. The people at the coffee bar, they don't serve coffee. They serve people coffee. The people who help park your car, hopefully you were nice to them. They were nice to you, right? But the people who help park, they don't park your car. They help people find a parking space. You see, that's what God, it's not a marketing strategy. It's a response to the gospel. That's why if you do call Grace Church your home, let me say this. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you when you come on a Sunday to not walk the same path you always walk, to not go to the same group you always cluster with. My challenge to you would be this, to have your head on a swivel. That's an old football term, right? Have your head on a swivel and look for somebody who looks like maybe this is their first time. You know why? Because you once were. I remember the first Sunday I came here. I didn't know nobody. I was secret shopping. They said, hey, would you consider coming and being our pastor? My wife and I said, I don't know. I want to see what the church is like without them knowing that I'm a pastor. And so I showed up and hung out with you guys. Didn't know anything about it, right? You didn't know who I was. And 
See, here's the deal. We all once were here for the first time. And so if you call Grace Church your home, my challenge to you would be to have your head on a swivel and look for those who, who maybe, maybe you're here for the very first time. Now, now listen, listen, you're saying, is it that important, Dan? Yes. You want to know why? I'm going to tell you why. When I was in Columbia City, I know, I'm sad too, you know, <laughs> I, I really am. It's all right. It's all good. I want you guys to look here a second. It's cool. Look here a second. When I was in Columbia City, my wife and I planted a church in Columbia City there 14 years. I want to tell you about a friend of mine in Columbia City. His name's Scott. Scott was not a follower of Christ. He wasn't a church guy. And Scott would tell the story about one Saturday night where he drunk, drank himself into oblivion. He was so intoxicated he could barely function. That night, he reached in the drawer of the dresser that was beside his bed with a purpose. And the purpose was to get his pistol that he kept there so that he could end the heartache that he was feeling. When he reached in that drawer, Scott stumbled around and instead stumbled upon a Gideon Bible that he threw in there that he stole from a hotel or something. He pulled the Gideon Bible out and he did not open it. He simply made a deal with God. And he said, I'll go to a church tomorrow. And if the people at that church are nice to me and will accept me, he said, I'll give you a try. If not, I'm going back to plan A. The next day, with a drastic hangover, Scott stumbled his way to Community of Hope in Columbia City. Stumbled his way up the steps where at the door was a young man who I dearly love to this day, whose name was Jonathan. Jonathan saw Scott coming up the door, reached his hand out, introduced himself, and asked him what his name was. He said, Scott. He said, have you ever been here before? He said, no. He said, I'm glad you're here today. Can I help you find your way around? And I would be happy to sit with you. Scott took him up on his invitation, sat through the service that day, ended up feeling the gospel, hearing the gospel, responding to the gospel, and Scott became one of the most incredible evangelists I've ever been around, sharing that good news story with everybody he came in contact with. It began because somebody stood at a door and said, I'm glad you're here. I've been waiting for you. How can I help you? You see, that's hospitality. Some of you in the room, you would call Grace Church your home, and you're like, man, that's something I'd like to get involved in. Well, I'm going to tell you that Saturday, 9 to 1030, you ought to write that down or circle it in your program. In the cafe, we have first impressions team training, and and it's a great opportunity for you to get involved. This is a great opportunity for you to somehow be involved in a team that is looking to greet new people. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. When you come, that's what we hope. Some of you are like, man, maybe y'all didn't feel it that way. We're still a work in progress, right? We're still a work in progress. But that's our desire, to be a hospitable, friendly place that responds to the gospel. Once you get your coffee and somebody meets you and helps you park your car, you're going to come into this room, right? And you're going to hear us singing about Jesus. You're going to hear us preaching from the word and things like that. It's the second G. I want you to write this down. It's what we call the gatherings. We have four of them, 8.30, 10 o'clock, 11.30, and 5.30. And at our gatherings, we make it clear that Jesus is the big deal when we gather. 
we make it very clear that he is the big deal when we gather. You see, when you look at 2 Corinthians 5, I'll skip that passage on the slides, but when you look at that, it's laid open in your lap. Here's what you can see. When you read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it's all about Jesus. It's for Christ, in Christ, to Christ, because of Christ, about Christ. It's all about Jesus. When we gather in this room, Jesus is the big deal. Let me tell you this. When we gather, for some of you, this might be new news. For some of you, this might clear up something you might think. We aren't simply a place that gathers to give some behavior modification or some self-help tools for your life. I hope it helps your life. But we are gathered because Jesus is the big deal. And everything we say revolves around Jesus. In fact, an easy way to remember this, the the coach in me, I I wasn't going to put this on the screen, but, but the coach in me, I thought, I want you to have this. You can write it down. Why in the world would I say Jesus is the big deal? Here's why. Because God is the ultimate author of the Bible. So you need to know that. 2 Timothy 3, you can, you can write that down. God's the ultimate author. Jesus is the central character. Now listen, I'm going to tell you something. I know people who grew up in church and they know all about the rules of the Bible, but they don't know about Jesus. You can know the Bible inside and out and miss the central character. And if you don't see Jesus, you're missing the point. The point of the Bible is a person. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the cent. In fact, he was talking in John 5. You ought to test me on this. Don't take my word for it. I mean that. John 5, he's talking to really, really smart religious guys. And he's like, you guys know the Bible inside and out, and yet you miss that it's about me. He's talking to religious people, people who were teaching others. And the gospel is the overarching story. That's why we make sure that you understand that in our gatherings, Jesus is the big deal. But can I tell you this? I was very, very deliberate in the words I chose because it's our desire, you ready? We make it clear that Jesus is the big deal because sometimes you can go to church and it's not clear what they're saying. Sometimes you can go to church and hear a presentation. They can use big words, and it's not clear. We, on the other hand, I'm not saying we're the only ones who do it, but I'm saying our desire, we are committed to making the story of Jesus clear. That's part of our value. Here's what it says. It says, we live to make Jesus make sense. We're preoccupied with making any necessary sacrifice to make the story of Jesus clear and accessible to anyone seeking after him. Why do I tell you that? Because it explains why we do what we do in this room, how we do it, right? Let me just tell you a couple things, a couple things. It's why we accept people where they're at so that we can take them where they need to be instead of always yelling at them for not being where they should be. You tracking? You see, we'll accept people where they're at, right? We're all, by the way, we're all a mess and the gospel makes us beautiful. I believe that. We accept people where they're at so that we can take them where they need to be. We don't simply yell at them. It's why every week, I get asked this, I'm just going to explain, because you guys ask me these questions. Somebody asked me just recently, why are you always talking to people who are there for the first time? Okay, I'll answer that out loud in front of all of you. You know why? Because every week, every week, I'm not sure I said this or not, every week, 
there is somebody here for the very first time. And so I want to go out of my way to talk to them. Maybe that's you this morning. And so it's why I go out of my way to talk to them. It's why we accept people where they're at. It's why we talk to first-time guests. It's why I say things like this. You can come here and disagree with what I'm saying from the front. Like I say that all the time. Why would you say that, Dan? Because I want people to come be a part of this, right? We're going to preach from the word. and I want them to hear what God has to say, right? It, it, it's why it, somebody said this to me last week. Literally, I... And if you're here, you'll remember this if you're the one who said it. They came out and said, Pastor Dan, I don't want to offend you. When somebody says that, you always kind of like brace yourself like, okay, I wonder what's coming, right? And they said, I don't want to offend you. And I was curious, like, I wonder what's coming. They said, today, it, it really, like they're newer here, I think, and they, they said, it, it didn't feel like you were preaching at us. It felt like you were talking to us. And I'm like, I'm not offended, like, I don't know if that should have been offensive, but we want to, to, to talk. He said, you, you, <laughs> he said, you talk. I got to tell a story on Aiden. Can I do that real quick? He, this guy said, you talk so simple. Aiden one time, I got to tell you this, Aiden one time was leading a worship conference. I don't know if I ever told you this story or not. And he was bringing in a guest speaker and he was nervous because he, it was his first conference he's planning. He's young and he did a great job with it. And uh, so after the conference was over, the little seminar, I asked him how it went. And he said, yeah, it went pretty good. He, I said, well, how'd the speaker? You were nervous about bringing in a speaker. He said, eh, I don't think that went so well. I said, why didn't that go so well? He said, I don't know. The guy was really, really smart, and we're used to listening to you every week. Is what he said to me, right? <laughs> yeah. I fired him. I rehired him the next day. But, so. but, but several things I'd say. One is, I don't know that many big words, and I'm not being, I, I just don't. But, but the second thing is, I would rather it be understandable than somebody be impressed with my vocabulary, right? And so we want to make the, Jesus, the story of Jesus make sense. So we're going to greet you. We're going to gather. We're going to make it clear Jesus is the big deal. And if you're here long enough, guess what? The third G is going to come in play. We're going to encourage you to get in a group. Groups are a big deal. And you're going to hear us say that. Like, why do they do this? Is that just a church thing? No. We encourage people to move from the gathering into a group. Why? Okay. I'm going to fly, Aiden. Okay. I'm going to fly here in a second. Why would you do that? Look here a second. I'm I'm going to just shoot straight with you. Because Jesus will not totally make sense to you apart from relationships. Like, I've been doing this 25 years, and here's one of the things I hear. You know something? It's, it's God and me. Yep, your relationship with Jesus is personal. It's not private. And Jesus will not totally make sense to you apart from relationships. You know how I know that? Because 59 times in the New Testament, 59, you ought to write that down. That's just an interesting piece of trivia. 59 times there's these things called one another's. And they underscore for me the fact that we need each other. Uh, Pastor Jeff Martell, who I love, he's at our barbering campus, he said it this way one time. He said, we get weird when we're, we're by ourselves. There's truth. To, yeah, if you don't believe it, ask somebody, right? We do. We need each other. In fact, if you look at those 59 things, we're not going to look at them all this morning, but they're fascinating. Jesus said this. He said in John 13, he said, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Listen, he said, they're not going to know you're my disciples if you go to church every week. That's a good thing to do. He doesn't say they're not going to know by your bumper sticker. He said they're not going to know by how many verses. you. Good things, right? But he's saying they're going to know by how you love others. 
In fact, I would suggest to you that, that Jesus will never make sense until I begin exporting the love that I've received from him. Uh, Paul says this, he says, I want you all to carry one another's burdens. That sounds like a good idea. You know why? Because some burdens are too heavy to carry on our own. You, you know what I know? I mean, I've been doing this long enough. I'm looking into your eyes. You know what I know? Some of you are carrying burdens that, quite frankly, you need somebody to come alongside and stick a shoulder underneath. I'm, I'm confident of that. I'm confident of that. One of, there, there's a person here that I dearly love, and, and she'll be here during one of the services, and, and, and if you are, you'll know who I'm talking about, and come see me. I love her, and I look for her every time she's here because at 30-some years of age, of no choice of her own, she became a widow. And, and I remember the first time I met her, and I'm like, wow. And I said, let some of us kind of get underneath. That's a burden, Wow. I mean, there's parts of that we can't walk through, I mean, for you, but there's parts of it we can walk through with you, right? Some of you are carrying some heavy loads, and he's like, man, I want you to bear each other's burdens, and, and I want you to carry one another's load. Uh, Paul says this, encourage one another. Raise your hand if you like to be encouraged, if it's good to be encouraged. The rest of you are lying, okay? For, <laughs> I, I love when somebody breathes courage into me. That's what encourage is. I'm going to breathe courage in, right? Like, go, go, go. When I coached football, you know something I noticed? I mean, this is, go off script here a little bit. Something I noticed is when kids were running, maybe running their laps, man, I'd always place myself at a certain spot. And when I say, you're doing great, good job, keep going. It's like somewhere they found this little extra something to get going, didn't they, huh? They picked up their pace a little bit. We all need that. He says, I want you to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. You know why that's good? I know you all don't struggle with this, but I do, because sometimes I don't want to do the right things. I know you all don't struggle with that, but sometimes I do. I need some people to spur me on, right? He says this, I want you to pray for one another. That sounds like a good thing, right? Listen, I'm going to just ask a question. We're going to go to the next one. Do you have somebody in your life, this is not guilt, do you have somebody in your life that knows the most powerful, impactful way to be praying for you? Not just like, hey, I pray for Dan, hope he's having a good day. Yeah, I want a good day, that's great. But do you have somebody in your life that knows your deepest fears, your deepest struggles? They're like, I'm gonna join you in praying for that. I'm gonna come alongside you and pray. He says, I want you to serve one another. Serve one another in love. He says in Colossians 3, I want you to teach one another. I want you to warn one. This is fascinating, warn each other. You know something? I'm gonna say this and, and go to the next. He, he says, y'all need people in your life, a huddle. That's what I call it, right? A huddle. And you need in that huddle people who are gonna love you enough to say to you what you might not like all the time. I'm gonna say that again. You need people in your huddle who are gonna love you enough to say what you might not like all the time. I used to say to my kids, I love you my love for you is way higher than my, my need to be liked by you. Like, I love you enough that I'm going to stand in the way sometimes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to warn. I'm going to instruct, right? I, listen, you may not, I don't know. I need people in my life to do that. Say, hey, 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 Dan. I need those people in my life. First Peter 5 says this, kiss one another. That sounds like a good one. Can we get an amen on that one? Yeah, I'm going to go and practice that one on my wife. Here's the deal, right? We need each other. We need each other. That's why we have this thing called discovery groups coming up. And if you're newer to Grace Church, I want you to write this down, circled in your program, September 19th. Listen, some of you are like, I'm scared. I don't know. I've not, never been. Listen, I get it. I do. 
We want to help you. We want to connect you. It's why in your program, you have this insert. Can I tell you something? We need each other. That's why we have people on Thursdays and Tuesday nights. You know what they do? We need each other because they're people who are recovering from addiction. And like, we need each other. We have on Thursday nights families of those who are in, who are addicts. And we need each other. On Wednesday nights, we have a group that goes through grief together. You know why? Because some grief is really heavy. We have people that go, they're going through divorce. Like, we need each other. That's why we have these things called grace groups. We need each other. See, we're going to greet you. We're going to gather. Jesus is the big deal. We're going to encourage you to get in a group. You know why? We need each other. But I'm going to tell you something, then, then we're done. Literally, we're done. The most powerful moment of any church service, the most powerful moment of any church service, you ready? Don't say amen to this. I'll be offended is when we pray and dismiss. Some of you are like, yeah, I've been waiting for like 30 minutes, right? The most powerful moment of any church service. We call it this. We call it going because we celebrate when the church leaves the building. Because when the church leaves the building, here's what the church does. The church is not the building. If you're newer, you're like, I thought we're in church. Nah, we're in a building. The church gathers in a building. Uh, isn't this service, church service? Nah, this is the gathering. The church is the people, all those who've said yes to Jesus, and the most powerful moment of any church service is when we dismiss and the church goes into the world to be the church. God gave the church to the world to influence the world so that more and more people the story of Jesus might make sense to so that we would see people who say yes to Jesus. You see how this thing works? In fact, the very last command Jesus gave, we think, might be at the very top of the priority list for the church when he said this, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. Why? Because we think the story of Jesus is the biggest deal that anyone could ever encounter. And so what we love is when the church goes and practices hospitality in their neighborhood, at their workplace, in their school. When they practice hospitality and they live a life that makes Jesus the big deal, and they look for ways to export what it is that Jesus has done for them into the lives of others. You see, that's the powerful moment that happens in any church service. You see, we practice hospitality. We gather around Jesus. We group because we need each other. And we go. You know why? Because there's people right now. Listen to me. I'm going to pray and we're done. There's people right now. Right now, in your neighborhood, live right beside you. They work beside you Monday through Friday. They go to school with you. They play on the football team with you. Right now, they don't know how incredibly much God loves them and what Jesus did for them. And so, he gave us this mission. Your mission is to go live to make Jesus make sense because he doesn't make sense to everybody. So, God... Thanks for giving us a chance to have that conversation on a day when we baptized 23 people. Thanks for letting us celebrate that. In this room, I pray for those who maybe have never said yes to Jesus. And in the quietness of this moment, if that's you, I'm just asking your heads bowed and just, just to go here with me for a minute. You're like, I've never said yes to Jesus. Like, like Dan, I've got quite a, quite a sordid past. Jesus knows all about that, and he died in your place. He took your place on the cross. And you can say yes to Jesus. Say, yes, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Yes, Jesus, I believe you died for my sin in my place. And Yes, Jesus, I believe that story about you rising again really did happen, and I want to follow you the rest of my life. 
you had that conversation in the quietness of this moment, I'd love to hear from you. Email. I'd love to hear from you. Phone call. I'd love to hear from you. Connection card. Somehow let me know. And God, then for the rest of us who maybe have said yes to Jesus, I pray that somehow our head would be on a swivel to look for those who we can love today. God, that we would constantly live in such a way that makes Jesus the big deal because he is the big deal. And that you would help us to realize our need for each other as we go from this place. I pray this all in Jesus' name.